Welcome to Every Step Podcast. I'm Christina Weston. And I'm Judith Beck. Every Step is the podcast where career and life meet. With a new guest every episode, we explore the gutsy issues affecting everyone in the workplace. Today, we welcome Dr. Rebecca Ray, a clinical psychologist, author, and speaker who helps big picture thinking people master their psychology. Beck is the author of six books, including Be Happy and Difficult People. And today we're talking about how to handle difficult people. So Beck, we all have difficult people in our lives. However, what I've learned over the years is that sometimes it's actually me and not Mm. them. Mm. It's others pushing our, my buttons and highlighting things in me that I may not like about myself, but because I don't have the awareness or haven't in the past had the awareness about what it was that I tend to project it back and it becomes all about them because that's an easier way of dealing with difficult people. Mm-hmm. So is it me or is it them? And how do I how do I actually tell the difference? You know, when I first started writing the book, um, I had a huge amount of difficulty because I kept writing from both perspectives because I wanted to answer that question. Mm. So I spent time in the manuscript writing from what if I'm the difficult person, what am I doing that's difficult versus what about the person that I'm dealing with that's difficult. And um, the manuscript went to my editor and my editor said her response was, Look, I know you're a psychologist and you can see everyone's perspective, but can you stop it, please? Um, Because we need just one point of view. It was very frustrating because this is a a question that comes up time and time again. And usually it comes up from people that actually do have a high level of self-awareness. It's it's actually very unlikely that a genuine card-carrying difficult person is going to ask the question, am I a difficult person? Or you, I'm not f- difficult then. No, no, I, I'm assuming that you're not. I mean, this doesn't, it doesn't mean that we can't all behave badly um, sure. because we can. And I think you put anyone in a situation where their resources are taxed or they're going through an emotionally difficult time or they're simply struggling for whatever reason and they're not their best selves. Um, For all the self-help listeners out there, feel free to roll your eyes. Um, I can't stand that phrase either. But we simply can't walk around as the highest version of ourselves all the time, especially not when life gets hard. So I think one of the things we need to do, first of all, is to look at um, is this person um, going through a difficult time or are they actually a genuinely difficult person? And when you're looking at your behaviour, the first thing I would get you to reflect on is the fact that difficult people don't generally walk into self uh, into the self-help section in a bookstore and pick up a book called Difficult People. So, it's, I think it's really fair to reflect on what's the cycles that I'm getting into with this person? How do they trigger me? And how am I actually contributing to that habitual behavior? Because one of the things that happens with difficult people is they're generally really predictable. But what happens is we become predictable in return. So they do this and then we do that and around and around we go and the same cycle happens all the time. So I think that's really important to reflect on. But if you're dealing with a genuine difficult person, we're talking about someone who violates your psychological safety 
So that is, you don't feel emotionally safe around them. You don't feel like you can speak up for your needs. You don't feel like you can express what's happening for you. And you don't feel like you can be imperfect without fear of being humiliated or punished um, or attacked in some way. And the other thing that difficult people tend to do is that they um, are not great at taking ownership for their emotions. So you just mentioned before that sometimes you project those triggers that are happening within you on the difficult person and around and around we go in that habitual cycle. But what happens for difficult people is oftentimes they've grown up in a situation or in a family system that hasn't allowed them to have feelings and hasn't allowed them to express those feelings in a safe way. That's never been modeled to them. So they land in adulthood without these emotional skills, with a low emotional IQ or EQ, um, as it's largely called. And then you get into a situation where they project that emotion onto you. Their emotions get loud. They become messy. They become difficult to receive. And then they blame you for those emotions. Yes. Yeah. I think we've we've all been we've all been caught in that situation. And I think for listeners, some of the concepts we're talking about, if you haven't been on this path of self-reflection, sound quite complicated. Mm. And they sound very, um, very difficult to actually respond to. So if you're yeah. caught up in that kind of situation, let, let's let's say it's a work environment and we're dealing with someone that is always a no, is not listening, is not open to um, new ideas. How do we deal with that kind of scenario? I think the first thing to do is to make sure that you have actually expressed the things that you want to be heard. So sometimes people walk around, they go, this person's so difficult. No, they don't, they don't listen to me or they're not hearing what I have to say. And my first question around that is, did you actually say it? Because a lot of the time, especially for women and femme identifying folk, we are conditioned to be quiet. We're conditioned to be easy. We're conditioned to not rock the boat. And so that means that sometimes we communicate in very passive or subtle ways, hoping that other people are mind readers, essentially. Well, I think that's true. I think I think we do often, I'll speak for myself, I often fall into the trap where I expect people to mind to be mind readers and I expect yeah. them to be as self-aware as I am, and I kind of go, well, if that was me, I would have apologised, or if that was me, I would have. But people often sit in silence expecting everyone to realise what's going on, and people yeah. don't. They don't realise what's going on. People aren't mind readers. So at the at the end of the day, I would always look at people and I would go, their perception is their reality. So if their perception on the, the message that I gave them was negative, then I needed to make sure I clarified more and asked more questions. And if somebody was saying no, 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 all the time, in my view, I was, I would always think that that, that is a cry for more information. So until they tell me, I get it, I've got all the information, there's no, there's nothing left on the table but I don't like your project until I get those words. Like I simply don't want to do your project. It's not the direction we want to go in. I that I want that final no. Otherwise yeah. I'm going to keep on giving information until I get that final no. And, and someone saying no, I just simply don't like 
the project does not necessarily mean that that person is a difficult person. Yes. It just means that the two of you are on different planes and have different ideas. So I think handling that person in the work environment is more about listening and asking questions and making sure they're listening to you and then deciding where you're going to go and not necessarily think that everybody's a difficult person just because they don't like your idea. Um, have we had the conversation? Yeah. Have we talked about it like two adults and does everybody have the information and let's, ag- let's agree to disagree. And I still like you. <laughs> but- oh, maybe you don't. I think there's, I think it's really, I think it's important to acknowledge that no human is going to be liked by every other human out there. And that doesn't mean that you're difficult or that someone else is difficult. It simply just speaks to the fact that we all have different personality styles and some of those personality styles are oil and water. And if you are forced into um, company with someone whose water she your oil, um, you've got to find a way to work together if that's where you land. So it it definitely means, Judith, you're you're exactly right. You need to be in a situation where a you've communicated as clearly as possible, and then if you repeat what you're saying and you're still getting a reaction that is abrasive or harmful in some way, then we move to the second step. And the second step is to set boundaries around their experience of, sorry, uh, boundaries around your experience of them. And so that might mean changing the format of the contact. So sometimes people are incredibly abrasive if you talk to them face-to-face, for example. So you're in a room, they use tactics that feel like they're threatening, like body language or standover tactics, things like that. And you can actually simply just change that by shifting face-to-face to to something like Zoom, like we're on right now. And if that's still too much, you shift it to a phone call. If that's still too much, then you shift it to email. The beauty of email is you have a record of everything that's actually been discussed to you. And that's absolutely fine because I think sometimes we need to recognise that in order for us to feel psychologically safe, we need to communicate in such a way that we can manage what's happening with the difficult person. And the way we communicate depends on the circumstances or situation that we're in with that person. So if it's a workplace, um, then obviously your communication might have to be frequent with that person, but you could still manage most of it via email if that felt safer for you. If we're talking about a family relationship, you can shift that to phone or to text, um, or you can simply just move all the way back to seasonal cards, you know. Sometimes the the best way to manage difficult family relationships is um, distance, and, and that distance is very intentional so that everyone can get along as best as possible without triggering each other. And I think that probably from a, from a work point of view could apply from the, because at the end of the day, you're not going to like everybody that you work with, right? You probably out of ten people, you probably like three really a lot, and then yeah. the other ones is kind of. Then there's a couple of them that you don't like, and I think the thing is, is that if you're having to deal with someone in that in that work environment, if you can turn a difficult person around to be a, to to see your way, well, then you got a great win. So yeah. you you give it a chance and you do everything that you can. But my advice, don't don't make it a, a crusade. 
So, you know, you try to turn them around, you give it your best, you give them all the information, but don't make it a crusade, move on. Because the, you know, it's like clients, when you go out and try to win a client, you know, go out there, do your best, win them, but don't make it a crusade, move on, because you don't, you don't have to deal with difficult people if you don't want to. There's, there's a lot more nice people than there are difficult people. Yes. So if you put all your energy in the difficult person, then you're going to be wasting a lot more time than you need to. And that's not to say not to give it a go, but just give it some time and then decide, cut it off. Because I've made that mistake in the past in, in my career where I've took it as a challenge to try to turn a client into to turn somebody into a client and a crusade. And it was a big waste of time. Yeah. And I always regretted it. <laughs> yeah. Waste of energy. Yeah. As we say to our, our puppy, like Rocco, not everybody wants to be your friend. <laughs> and I think, I think that's, you know, that's that's true in in your personal life as as it is in your in your business life. But Beck, you know, at what point do you sit down and have a conversation with that person about their well, our perception that their behaviour is difficult. And I guess there are some challenges and nuances here because if it's a peer, it might be one type of conversation. If it's the, your boss or your superior, it's, you know, how do you have those difficult conversations? Because at, at some point, it you know, at some point you need to build the skills to actually have a conversation that goes something alike when when. X, Y, Z happens, it makes me feel or whatever the right languaging is. What is the best approach around that? And it is, I mean, it is highly nuanced. Yeah, I don't think... I don't think it is appropriate to for you alone to just go ahead and have that conversation with your boss, especially if that if your boss has showed that they're not safe for you in some way. I think the if you were going to address your boss's behavior, let's say your boss was you felt like your boss was bullying you, then you should be supported in having that conversation. So that's that there should be a middleman like HR that supports you in that. If you're if we're talking about working in a very small team um, where there is no HR department, then you might not have a choice. And my recommendation around that is to do have the conversation in whatever way you can be heard. And usually that's in text. So I don't mean texting on the phone, I mean via email, because then you can um, not have your fight flight response triggered because sometimes in conversation when we get overwhelmed and we can't uh, trust ourselves to actually be able to think clearly because our emotional brain takes over it just becomes too difficult whereas if you're writing an email you're in a place where you can take as long as you want to write that email you can run the email past a couple of trusted colleagues to make sure that it's in the tone that you want you've got a record of it so that that person can't necessarily just come around and immediately gaslight you and make you feel like you doubt your entire reality. And if the person, if you email, then you're encouraging that person to email back. So the record actually continues. If we're talking about a conversation with someone that is on your level, so they're a coworker or they're a family member or a friend, then at least there's the power differential is more equal than what it is when we when we're talking about a boss. And again, I would encourage you to have the conversation in whatever way feels 
appropriate for you to keep your logical brain front and center. If you're going to become too emotional speaking face-to-face, don't speak face-to-face because what's going to happen is once emotions get into that conversation, you stop hearing each other and you start simply reacting to the emotion in the dynamic. And that's not helpful for anyone. Yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm too... I have two thoughts on that. <laughs> um, if obviously, if they're senior people, if they're in the more senior level, let's say people who are in their thirties plus, um, they're already in their up trajectory of management. As from my point of view, this is only my view. When I was running my businesses, if I would much preferred, I would I would have I would have had an issue with someone sending me an email. Mm-hmm. saying that they weren't happy about it because I, I would have said why didn't you just come and talk to me mm-hmm. but then that was the relationship so you have to be able to look at the relationship that you have with your boss and the company are they approachable like that and you said that yeah. um the younger ones haven't learned those skills yet of being able to go to somebody who they in their eyes they're up here and they and they're here so they have this that fear but that's where they need to have an, a mentor or someone to talk to first before they do these things. Because once they have a conversation with a boss about something that is bothering them, that the way they do it is the skill in itself. Mm-hmm. And that is more about asking questions like, you know, I sense that um, that you might not be happy with some of the work that I've done. Is there anything I can do to approve? How would you like us to work um, more productively in the future? Is there anything that you would recommend? So going to your boss is more about trying to get them to tell you what um, what the issues are rather than you going in and saying, I'm not happy with this, I'm not happy with that, blah, blah, blah. Because usually the, the bosses want to hear that you're um, keen to improve whatever it is. And you know, it's 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 a business at the end of the day. So yeah. I think there's two ways of doing it. It could be sending the email first and saying, I really would like to have a conversation with you face to face. Here are some of the issues that I'd like to discuss in that meeting. Is that okay with you? What's a good time? That type of thing. And then there's a thought process that's already starting so that the, the boss isn't taken by surprise either. Yeah. It, I mean, you've got to look at the organizational culture that's been created first. Like yeah. if you're receiving an email from your employee about something they're not happy with, then it very likely means they don't feel comfortable speaking to you. So have you actually set up an organizational culture that has 360 degree feedback that is actually accepted and not just um uh, in some values document somewhere, but not in practice. So I agree with you. I, I think the best way forward is for everyone to be able to sit down and express themselves. But does the culture support that? Because if the culture supports that, we're not talking about difficult people anymore. We're talking about simply um, the problems that arise as a result of business. That's fine. And stuff happens, right? In business, yes. stuff happens. There will be disagreements. There will Absolutely. be disagreements about strategic direction or about where money should be spent or about headcount. Or yeah. and and people. It doesn't necessarily mean you're difficult. And I guess this yeah. is a distinction again. Yeah. Is, where are you just voicing a perspective that is 
different to somebody else's and needs to be heard as compared to somebody who is being difficult. And I think you phrased it really nicely right at the outset around that psychological safety yeah. pace. Um, yeah. It's subjective, it's, isn't it? Because some people might think their boss is difficult for making them do extra work that they need to be do out or giving them um, work that they don't, they're not really happy with. or So there's different degrees of their perception about what is difficult where yes. their boss might go, I'm not being difficult. This is just work we need to get done. What's the problem? Type thing. So there's two different perceptions on what yeah. is actually being difficult. Um, and culturally, you know, you could have a culture that says we're we're inclusive, we're this, that, and the other thing, and they've got it written on the walls and everything else. And a lot of the people believe it, but then there might be one or two in a division that don't. Yeah. And practice it. So it's kind of a it's a it's a it's a tough one as far as identifying what a difficult person is. And I think if you're the person who is dealing with that. It is up to you as the person, I think, I believe. If you think yeah. someone's difficult, then I would try to find it in myself to say, how am I going to deal with this? Mm -hmm. And how am I going? I need to ask more questions. Mm -hmm. Like to Christina's point before in early on, is it me or is it them? Yeah. You know, is it, who is it? And I need to know. And, and after all that, if I had that meeting with my boss and said, how do you want me to work and blah, blah, blah. And I was and I went through all that and they still said, listen, I haven't got time for this. You're wasting my time. Yeah. Well, that's a difficult boss. Yeah, absolutely. And if you can't tell the difference, go and get some help. Go and have a counseling session. Go and bounce it off somebody else to, to get yeah. some perspective. Generally, we're looking at repetition, though. Like repetition and predictability will actually tell you that someone's more likely to be difficult rather than it just being a one-off situation. And it's the same when we're talking in the reverse as well from boss to employee. If you're thinking that you're dealing with an employee that's being difficult, have they been like that from the beginning or has something changed in their way of being? And then we need to check in with them. Is everything okay at home is what's happening you know your your head doesn't seem to be in it is there any way that we can support you because we all have bad days we all have bad weeks sometimes even bad life chapters if you've just going through a divorce or facing the cost of living crisis you know um i think there is there's definitely a lot of nuance here that's for sure yeah and enormous. i remember i used to tell people all the time these were candidates that i would um uh, place into businesses and they they were always dealing with difficult people because they'd call me back and I've got this issue and I've got that issue and I'd have to help them through the, the process and to the point about the emails what I used to say to them when they had the, the conversation with the difficult person because the difficult person will agree to things in passing make promises um, and then forget about it three yeah. months later and so I used to always say to them, that person obviously is a difficult person. They, they, they'll they forget about it. And they actually believe they didn't say it. So you need to have that conversation and then confirmation. So the minute you have that conversation with a difficult person that you think is going to go back on their word, or even if you don't know, put it in writing and say, thanks very much for the conversation today as agreed. Yeah. I'm going to go ahead with the expenditure on this project. I'm going to spend this. I'm going to do that send it to them because if there's any doubt then in that person the difficult person's mind they've got the email and they can fix it then yeah absolutely 
Yeah, I think there's there's some other subtleties here, and Judith, you you kind of alluded to this in terms of people being people pleasers. And if you're the type of person that has come from a background of always saying yes when actually you feel no or you're overloaded or whatever, you could easily be identified as somebody who's difficult, but really all you're just doing all you're doing is trying to make everybody happy and then in the end you're mm-hmm. not able to d- deliver so there's that kind of I guess that leads into a little bit of the the boundary management and a little bit into the bit that you were talking about Judith which is um covering covering things off and and document documenting things in a in a work context it doesn't work so well in a in a family context um, yeah. things can blow up pretty quickly if you start doing those sorts of things yeah um exactly right and you got to know what to say no you got to know what you're saying no to, but the other person should also know why you're saying no and and the truth of why you're saying no. So that goes in a personal situation and a work situation as well. And, you know, as we were talking about people pleasing before, and I can remember early in my career, um, you know, yeah, you, you know how you'd say people will ask you out um, from work to go for dinner or come out of their house or that type and and, I, and um, my husband and I used to do it would go and go over because they were work colleagues and we go yeah and we didn't really want to we didn't we wanted our weekends to be for us yeah and we, so we actually did a whole year saying no it was our new year's eve resolution <laughs> and it was the, it was the best exercise ever because yeah. But basically where it was, if a work colleague would ask ask you out to come over to their house for dinner or whatever, you'd go, you just say, look, thanks for the invitation, but we just want to have, an, have a, a quiet weekend this weekend, mm-hmm. which was the truth. Yes. And so the truth is, is easier to remember. And yep. some people feel they need to make up a whole bunch of stuff, you know, like, oh, I can't because the kid's got a sports thing or I can't because of this. Just no, because we just don't want to go anywhere. Yeah, or no, because we're not available without an excuse or a justification. I don't think we need to justify everything. I mean, sure, if you're in a work context and you have a set of responsibilities and tasks that you need to fulfill and you're not fulfilling them, then yes, there needs to be a reason for that. But if if a friend's asking you if you can babysit for them or help them move, you don't need a justification for saying no. But I think we are often conditioned as women to make, turn ourselves inside out and upside down for um, peacekeeping, negotiating, mediating, doing whatever we need to do to make other people feel better about their circumstances or in the situation. And that sometimes means that our needs come last. But the thing I really want people to remember is that as adults, it's our responsibility to meet our own needs. If you don't speak up for your own needs and make sure that those needs are counted, then nobody else is going to do it for you. Yeah, Absolutely. so that's that whole boundary. That's that whole boundary management piece, and I think, yeah, kind of linking it back to the beginning of this conversation, we 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 often tend to, if we, if we're not aware, we tend to make it about the other person. Oh, it's all their fault. It's their yeah. fault that I feel abandoned. It's yeah. their fault that they didn't do whatever it was. It's it's yeah. all about them, and the responsibility does come back. To us to take responsibility and to learn the power of the word no. Yeah. That's exactly that's very you know, challenging. I tried, I tried the um no, I'm not available once for a Tupperware party. <laughs> right? 
Now, who wants to go to a Tupperware party? I said, no, thanks. I'm not available. And so, and, and we had just moved into a new area. <laughs> what happened is she rescheduled the Tupperware party for the following weekend. <laughs> so I had to go. And I thought oh, to myself no. at the time, I should have just said, no, I don't no, like thank you. No, yeah, thank you. It's not my wheelhouse. So yes. I don't want Tupperware, but instead I ended up with a $90 <laughs> or something like that. <laughs> Karma, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you learn these things early and then you never do them again. Absolutely. <laughs> so what are some key things around boundary management, Beck? What are some what are some key things that our listeners need to be conscious of? Because this is intertwined with difficult people. Yeah. So I think the first thing is to understand that boundaries are not mean or selfish or rude. Most of the time, again, particularly for women and femme-identifying folk, we're, we're talking about the, the conditioning around boundaries and how we fear that we'll be judged negatively for setting boundaries. Instead, I want listeners to think about boundaries as a gift in relationships and a gift in any kind of interpersonal situation because you're taking away the guesswork for the other people. You're actually showing them how to care for and respect you by setting boundaries. Sometimes boundaries, though, are internal. So sometimes we blame others for boundaries that actually exist for, um, for us internally. An internal boundary is a boundary that is between you and you. So that is, you know, how often you exercise, what time you go to bed, how much you're on your device versus um, giving your eyes time away from screens. All of those things don't, they have nothing to do with anyone else. They only have to do with you. And yet we can often find excuses about what other people are doing in our environment that stop us from doing those things. And yet really it's just an internal boundary between you and you. When it's an, we're talking about an external boundary, the thing to remember around boundaries is that they evolve as we do. So sometimes we actually don't know the boundary exists until it's crossed. And that doesn't mean that the other person, oh, sorry, let me clarify. I'm talking about emotional boundaries here. Yes. Emotional boundaries are intangible. They, they're often things that um, can be very unique to us as individuals. I'm not talking about physical or sexual boundaries. That should be um, unspoken and assumed. So when we're talking about emotional boundaries, life is much more subtle in this camp. So we're talking about things like what kind of personal space do you need? You know, what kind of space do you need at work so that you're not distracted all the time? Those boundaries you might only discover by being in a new situation. I, I remember um, when I first started dating my wife, she, her family are just intense like they love intensely and they live interstate so they would come and stay with us bloody every fortnight and I didn't know I had a boundary <laughs> around this until it happened like for six months straight and I would dread them coming to stay because what would happen is every single minute of every waking hour was spent in company with each other now my family are like 45 minutes together and we're good like see you later great you know, see you next month or whatever. But her family just couldn't get enough. And it took me a long time to realize that it had nothing to do with them, never had anything to do with them, but it was about me and a boundary I discovered that as an introvert, that was just too much. It would drain my battery so quickly that if I didn't manage the situation, I'd become resentful and be the difficult person. 
So I had to actually set a boundary, which was really hard to set because initially they interpreted that as me not liking them. Mm -hmm. So I had to be really clear about how this isn't less liking or less love. I I want to love you and, and I very much like you as well, but I want to love you in a way that allows me to be the best version of myself in this situation. And that means that we don't actually stay together. So I have time to decompress um, in between social events and socializing with you. So it probably took me saying that three times overtly in text and in face-to-face conversations for them to understand. Now they're absolutely fine with it. Um, but it was a real, it was a real turning point for all of us because A, I realized that if I didn't actually set that boundary, I was being harmed. And B, they'd never had anyone that was clear enough with their boundaries to set a boundary like that. So initially it actually felt very confronting for them and even a bit abrasive. And I had to step them back through it to say, hold on a second, this is just simply about the resources that I have available. I don't have enough emotional social resources available for socializing like that with anyone unless I'm sleeping with you or I gave birth to you. That's it. Like there's no one else that I'm available for at that level, you know? So I think it's worth it when we can't, when it comes to boundaries to understanding that at different times in your life, like it might be different when I don't have a child at home that needs so much from me. These boundaries exist because we have giving tanks that only have so much in them. And if you don't speak to what your resources are in those giving tanks, then how will anyone else know that you're on the edge of burnout? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that goes, you know, from a work point of view, we need to set boundaries all the time. And one one of the boundaries that really needs to be set is the amount um, of time people have available to contact you. So, you know, that, you know, this is when I work. And if you continue and, and do your emails and answer phone calls into the night, you're already you're setting expectations to the people who are sending them that that's okay. Absolutely. You gotta, you gotta really, I mean, when I had my business, I would say no one's in the office after six Mm o'clock. Simply if you're in the office after six o'clock, you're doing something wrong. Your your time management's not right because there's no reason why you should. So go and then do a time and motion study and find out where the problem is. Don't want people working on the weekends because that's your family time. You need to have balance. You're no good if you're burnt out. And so that's not, that's good. And then emails, and a lot of companies do this now, where your email will automatically say, these are my work hours. Yes, I love those notices. It's like, excellent. (laughs) Everyone's expectations are accounted for. If you answer a text immediately when someone sends it all the time, their expectations they're going to be, if you don't answer that text after two hours, what's wrong with you? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Because you're sending, so you've got to be you know, you've got to be sending, I have um, friends where I say, look, if I, if I call you, if I call you and I don't leave a message, don't worry about it because it's nothing. And so we have that understanding, but some people, if they get calls from people, a missed call and that person hasn't text the message, they, and they don't recognize the number, they block it. And so, you know, you've got to, you're not setting the expectation or the boundary of, what it is. And so you've got to do that with everything now these days. I agree. Yeah. 
Absolutely. But it also, I guess the software allows us to actually do that. Um, and it's becoming more normalized. I really love when people have in their um, email signature, you know, I check my emails once every 48 hours or something like that. It simply just sets up. I expect you to manage your time and this is how I manage my time. So because once we actually clear up people's expectations, again, we're back to there's no guesswork. And if you take away the guesswork from your colleagues, you're saving them mental space that they can be using on tasks for productivity. And you're also doing the same for your clients. I think one of the most powerful things you can ever do in business is set those expectations for your customers and clients so that they don't assume that you're not serving them. In fact, you are going to serve them 150% within the hours that you actually set for them. Set the rules of engagement and then people know where they stand. And that will mean they won't think you're a difficult person because you've told them up front when you're going to call them, when you're going to deliver, what the, what the outcomes are going to be. You've told them all that up front. So therefore that person is a clear communicator and they're not difficult. Uh, what are your takeaways as far as you know, what? what's probably the best piece of advice you could give somebody to actually handle somebody that they're working with who is being extremely difficult? And I'll start with you, um, uh, Beck. So the thing that I, if listeners remember nothing else from me in this conversation, I would love them to remember regarding difficult people that as an adult, you have permission to not allow another adult access to you if that person is harmful for you even if you share DNA with that person. Now, it's important that I add the nuance here. If we're talking in a work context, it's a privilege to be able to walk out of your workplace and find another job tomorrow. Not everyone has that this privilege. But if you do have a boss or someone in a position of power that's taking advantage of you on a daily basis, you have permission to change that situation so that you are working in a better situation, in a better business, in somewhere where you are safe. I think sometimes we grow up and we lose our sense of agency um, or perhaps we never had it in the first place and we enter into this situation thinking, I can't change this situation. You have permission to do whatever you need to do to change the situation. Yeah, and I think I think that's really, really good advice. And and whilst it's really sound, I think sometimes that's rather challenging. I had a personal situation a number of years ago in an organization I was working for, and I um I got approached for the job. And the people that I was working with were really, really difficult, but we had no money at the time. Our business hadn't been going so well. We were financially vulnerable. I needed this job. And I put up with, as an adult, as a mature, experienced executive, I put up with stuff that I look back on and went, why did I let that happen? Mm. And I... I, because I was emotionally vulnerable because of stuff that was going on in other parts of my life, I did a whole bunch of stuff that I should never have done. And I, my confidence was smashed. Yeah. And, and this happens to, you know, intelligent, capable, successful people. We sometimes find ourselves in places where we don't feel like we have that, that agency because we, for whatever reason, for whatever's going on for us, we feel too insecure to yeah. actually seize that agency. So that, you know, it's, it's 
it's brilliant advice. It's exactly the right advice, but I just want to acknowledge that at times it's challenging to actually do that. And if you're struggling to do that, get some help around because the best thing you can do is get out, but it's about making it safe for you to also get out because you're not safe in there and you feel really scared about getting out of there because other things make you unsafe. So I just... And sometimes the best thing you can do is actually hear it from another person that's not you. By having a trusted friend or a trusted colleague that says to you, no, it's not you, this is actually not okay, it can help to bolster your um, confidence to be able to take a new step. But I agree. I've been in situations where I've compromised myself as well because I've either had to because I need, we live in a capitalist society, (laughs) have to pay my bills, or because it simply is not that easy to walk away, especially when we're talking about a work context. So I'm not saying any of this is easy. I'm just saying sometimes we need to be reminded of the fact that we have permission to take control of our own lives. And that is such sound, such sound advice. It's really sound advice. And I I would end with that, that um, look at the end of the day, when you're work when you're in a work environment, there are going to be issues throughout your career. And there are going to be difficult people and not difficult people and the it, all different types of people in your career. The main thing I would say is find out why you think they're difficult and really and, and that's where we talk about this in every single podcast that we've had about having mentors and advocates in your corner who are more experienced than you, who you can go to and say, is this a difficult person? They may say to you, no, they just want you to do your job. Or they may say, yes, that person, that's rude. They shouldn't be saying that to you. They shouldn't be speaking to you like that. So there are are, are two different two different scenarios. But you want to make sure you get a, a second opinion. That's always good. So get those advocates out there. And don't, don't, don't work for people who are difficult in the way that it's not not good for you. Um, because there's another, as my mother used to say, there's always another trolley car driving <laughs> by. <laughs> and, you know, you don't need you don't need uh, to be working somewhere where you're not happy and people aren't nice to you. But find out what it is first yeah. before you make that decision, because people have expectations in a work environment. You might not be used to that and you may read it one way. And it's always hard before it gets easy. So there's a different definition of difficult from that point of view. From a personal and even from your go-to people around you that you surround yourself with, don't surround yourself with difficult people, they'll bring you down. So, and difficult people tend to be negative. Those aren't the people that you wanna surround yourself with because eventually some of that will stick. You wanna surround yourself with people who are gonna challenge, motivate, inspire you. And those are the people that, that you need every day in your career from a personal point of view same thing with friends get rid of the ones that you know aren't adding value and you know and when you get older like 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 we are um no i should say more mature like we are the reality <laughs> is you might have five good friends if you're lucky you know your friend your friend group goes down but those are the your go-to people for that have been with you through your life and they're positive and they've helped you so that those some of the things that that i would recommend what a great conversation (laughs) we really enjoyed having dr rebecca ray today it was such a good we could really talk about difficult people and trust me we've all encountered them 
over the years. And before COVID, I actually made that um, rule. I'm not, I'm not dealing with difficult people anymore. <laughs> like if they're negative and they're not bringing joy to my life, I'm not, I'm not buying into that. I'm, I'm not going to be that people pleaser anymore. Yeah. And, you know, it's going the, to no D, the no DH policy. I, I won't say mm -hmm. it exactly on this podcast. I'd say it if I was in public, but yeah. <laughs> exactly. So thank you so much. And I would totally recommend everybody going out and getting Beck's book, Difficult People. Um, it's a must read. And um, also, I just want to say to the audience, if you haven't subscribed, is it that hard to hit the button and subscribe? <laughs> it's easy. If you like what you're listening to, please subscribe and please give us some reviews. Tell us what you want to hear. So thanks again, everybody. It was great having, having you here today, Beck. Thanks, thanks Beck. For more information about Every Step and our guests, head to everysteppodcast.com. To be notified of new podcasts, please subscribe via your favourite listening platform. And of course, follow us on social media and direct message us to share your ideas about guests or topics.